The following is a conversation with Jason Menzies from the popular Australian hunting YouTube channel, Liquid Antler. In this conversation, we talk about the tragic loss of two of Jason's friends from suicide last year and how he used hunting and exercise as a coping mechanism and a way to make sense of the chaos. We also talk about the intersection of pain and suffering and how it adds value to our hunts and makes us want to go out there and hunt more, as well as the lack of accountability in today's hunting culture and yet how vital a role it plays. As always, if you want to support this podcast, support me and support yourself, I encourage you to go check out the Australian Hunters Club, www.australianhunters.com.au. It is the best way to gain access to community, connect, find a mentor, as well as get benefits like free member-hosted hunts, even potentially win a professionally guided hunt once a month. I encourage you to check it out. But without further ado, let's get on to the conversation with Jason Menzies. Jiddu Krishnamurti, in Krishnamurti to himself, his last journal says this. One saw a dying bird shot by a man. It was flying with a rhythmic beat and beautifully, with such freedom and lack of fear, and the gun shattered it. It fell to the earth and all the life had gone out of it. A dog fetched it and a man collected other dead birds. He was chattering with his friends and seemed so utterly indifferent. All that he was concerned with was bringing down so many birds, and it was all over as far as he was concerned. They are killing animals all over the world. These marvellous, great animals of the sea, the whales, are killed by the million. And the tiger and so many other animals are now becoming endangered species. Man is the only animal that is to be dreaded. Jason, can you paint a different picture for me? Can you explain how mankind has a role in this this process, this natural evolution, this natural dance that animals play in, that it's not something to be dreaded to hunt, but it's something beautiful, it's something complex, it's something that we should all be involved in. Well, I think definitely as a hunter, um, there's been a big disconnect over the years with where we source our food from. So for me, as a hunter, um, being able to source organic food from, from the bush is nothing better. Being able to provide friends and family with um, meat that's not coming from the supermarket, you know, and a bit of plastic as you go down to the shop. Um, actually being out there in the field, slicing the meat, aging the meat, packing the meat, and then being able to give that to your family and friends is, you know, that's that's one of the main reasons I'm a hunter, is, is for that food aspect. And I think as hunters, we need to portray that, um, you know, that kind of disconnect about where our food actually comes from. So, for me, the t- you know the best opportunity as hunters is to show what we are able to provide um, out in the field, and yeah, that's probably the, the the big thing I see as a hunter and and how we can kind of reconnect with it. So so that's how you can kind of ex- explain or 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 justify maybe the position how like what's useful to get out of it, but I guess at the end of the day you can't divorce the killing from the harvesting i mean so recently i was i spent time in south australia uh, uh with paul from magnum hunts and taxidermy and um paul is like an incredible hunter he's like 69 at this point he's hunted his entire life he's killed he's nearly done the grand slam he's killed something like i think he's un, got two at least two trophy animals and not just any trophies like we're talking world record trophies from every single animal in uh the south pacific uh, at least twice. And so he's so he's super accomplished as a hunter, well-known. And he talks about 
pretty passionately. You know, he says yuppie hunters coming in from Melbourne or from wherever and they just say, I'm only interested in harvesting. That's why I hunt. And for him, Paul finds that difficult because what he what he hears when someone says that, and this might not be what what is true or reality, but this is what he hears is I'm not comfortable with just killing an animal. Um, I have to like kind of justify it by saying I'm harvesting it. And I would argue that the the decision to just to, to harvest an animal is the most pure and is, is far more pure in my mind than just trophy hunting. But you still can't, there's something true and right about what Paul's saying is that you can't separate the killing from that process. Like if we could harvest animals, I guess here's a question for you. If you could harvest meat from an animal without killing it, would you? Would you still be a hunter? If you could just walk out into the bush and, you know, maybe tranquilize a dart in the side of a, a deer and just take off one leg or just take off a, a single backstrap or something and it's, and it's still okay, like it can still function, it can still be out in the wild, would you do that? I suppose if I relate it back to like our trolling within the spearfishing community, so if going from marlin, things with using, you know, a tag system, so... Probably as a hunter, hunting deer, for instance, which is kind of my main thing that I, I enjoy hunting, short answer would probably be no at the moment. Um, I love the skill and um, the challenge of hunting deer. Yes, there's definitely the meat aspect, but you are right. It isn't just about the meat. I think that's quite a quite an easy way to justify what we do as hunters. Um, there's definitely the, the skill and the kind of, just that primal kind of opportunity to go in the bush and... Um, Put your skills up against an animal such as a deer, so that's actually an extremely tough question to try and think through. Definitely, the meat is important to me, but it's also that skill set and putting me in that in that position of testing myself. Um, so yeah, very very tough question that one. <laughs> so I mean, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is is do, the question is: Do we need to be ashamed of? Giving giving in is, is even the wrong word. Should we be ashamed of letting ourselves go to that primal place that's clearly in our in us? Like it's in our it's in our psychology, it's in our sociology. You could even some people might even argue it's in our genes. It's in our very biology, and it's been conditioned over thousands of years of evolution. Is it okay to be comfortable with with that drive? Because I feel like that drive is in every single human being. I mean, whether it's applied in a social context, human beings just seem to be, we just seem to want to dominate. We just seem to want to control. That's evident in everything that we do. Uh, And for some reason, it's okay in society now to apply that, that conditioning to other elements of life. Like go get that career, go pursue that relationship, go be excellent in all these different areas. But when it comes to hunting, it's like for a lot of people in society, it's like, no, no, you can't. You can't yeah, <laughs> demonstrate that it's very, right. yeah, still a very taboo subject, you know, with the hunting. And I think we try and justify it with the whole, uh, the food aspect, which is probably our best way of getting that case across to the public. Correct. So as a hunter, we have to sell ourselves to the community, to everyone pretty much with, you know, the small minority of hunters that, you know, we're quite a tight-knit community, but the rest of the world that see us, um, it's a, probably the best way of trying to sell ourselves in what we do. Um, yes, there's definitely the primal aspect, 
but for us trying to sell it to everyone, I think the food aspect is is the way that we're going to get people on side and also kind of, you know, open the opportunity to other hunters joining the community. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I mean, like if we go back to, I mean, when we talk about that drive and that instinct to want to want to dominate, uh, that like when we look at hunting in its most pure and natural form, which is when as how it originally you know, evolved in with human beings. We are talking about hunting for food. Like hunting, there wasn't just a whole bunch of cavemen sitting around going, geez, I'm bored. Do you want to go, you know, <laughs> go shoot a woolly mammoth for kicks, for giggles? Like no, no, no man or woman did that. They, it was like, no, we need to eat. We need to survive. Therefore we'll do this thing. And it wasn't until the, uh, the, you know, the age of industry, the industrial revolution, when hunting was completely divorced from harvesting that, that trophy hunting was even something that people pursued. Uh, I mean, it was done before that kind of in the middle ages and stuff with Kings and royalty. And, but that was a different thing, but you know, up until that point, it was like food, 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 food. Um, and I think the messaging you're right. It's still important that food is, is a driving factor. Uh, but at the same time, it would be foolish for us even to, to not, to not even within our own circles, talk about the other elements that are involved. Cause I completely agree with you pushing your body and and learning new skills is a key and integral part of of hunting. I mean, what with deer specifically? I mean, deer, like you said, they're a challenge. What where are the areas that you see your most growth in putting your skills up against the deer, or where are your where are your shortcomings, <laughs> where the deer is triumphing over you every single time? Well, I'm originally from New Zealand, so I try and get back to New Zealand at least a couple times a year. Um, but some of the New Zealand country that really pushes you, you know, pushes you to your limits. That's the times when you're spending, you know, weeks in the bush um, in remote areas, steep topography, and it's those opportunities that you get. Is you know, those are the chances that you get to really push yourself to see what you're made of. And it's yeah, you just can't beat it. Well, that's just one of the things I I live for. It's just that that opportunity to to push myself. In the bush, you know, you can see I've got a, a head on the wall, so I'm, I'm not just about the meat. I do enjoy getting out there for the trophy aspect of it. And to put yourself against that quarry in that tough environment is just, oh, I just can't beat it, to be honest. So, so for instance, when you're hunting, is it seeker deer in New Zealand recently? You were? I, I was, yeah, I was hunting seeker just recently. So I popped back there for six days in the bush, just me and a mate. Where I just spent six days backpack hunting um, in the Kaimanawas. So that was just, you know, same kind of thing, just putting yourself in a, a tough situation and, and seeing how you go. So it was, it was cold, it was miserable, but, you know, I just loved every, every minute, of, minute of it and, you know, I'm itching to get back. Isn't that funny how it's something that, again, in this PC world where we're hand, we're fed, we're spoon-fed absolutely everything, uh, you know, everything is instant. Everything is streamed. Everything is Amazon Prime delivered. Like that, we can enjoy the hardships. And and when you really experience the richness of pain or misery, uh, it just it's almost like <laughs> yes, well, exactly. It heightens the success. It's like hmm. success isn't success if it hasn't sucked. It's like when you're a millionaire, everything is worthless. Because, well, not a millionaire, so much now, anyone yeah. can be a millionaire nowadays, <laughs> maybe a billionaire, everything becomes worthless. And so, uh, so, so when you're, you're hunting deer, you seeker in New Zealand, how is, so the elements are kicking your butt because you're not used to them. The terrain is kicking your butt. The weather's, how is the deer kicking your butt? Like, how are they out, outwitting you? How are they outplaying you? Well, you're, you're in their home, you're in their, you're in their area that they're familiar with, you know, steep country, 
thick country and places. Um, and seek a deer. They're, they're a smart, elusive, but amazing deer to hunt. Um, just when you kind of think you've got them dialed in, you know, they'll do something that makes you question them. And, and it's just about just immersing yourself in it and just seeing how you go. So, you know, having that six days previously, or just in April was just um, just a great opportunity just to, just to, you know, sharpen up those skills because it'd been a few years since I'd been back with everything that had been going on. So it was just, um, yeah, it was, it was a great time. And also just it's been a great time with a mate as well that I hadn't hunted yeah. with for quite a while. So, yeah. So if you so you've been away from it and you had to sharpen those skills, what were the things that particularly, you know, you you really found like oh that was hard or oh no I need to remember to do that thing or or like what what were those things specifically that you found that you had to kind of get back into the groove of? Well, the f- fitness is the number one thing I think for any hunter. So for me, I have been working on my fitness for the last year, so really really pick that up. But with the deer itself, um, we were in a very open kind of. Probably in hindsight, not the best area to be hunting, the raw. Um, we were, it was a bit of a last minute trip, so it was a bit of a see what was available, jumped on it, and then just kind of went for it. Um, we did have success, but in hindsight, probably a tough area to be hunting. Big open tops, uh, very exposed, you know, southerlies whipping through. It was cold, it was wet, it was miserable, but. But, you know, I'm, I'm smiling as I, as I say this because I loved it, you know. So it's, it's the funny yeah. things you, you put your body through. But, you know, I'd, I'd jump back there in a heartbeat now if I could. Um, but with, with the seeker deer, they, they weren't roaring. So we, we were hunting them during the rut. Um, that's when they become vocal. Well, they should become vocal. But unfortunately, the time we were there, it was, it was very quiet. So it was more spending that time on the hill glassing. Um, just changing, you know, dro- dropping elevation, checking all the different elevation heights to see where they're feeding and just trying to familiarise yourself or trying to work out where the animals were because they were few and far between and without the vocal kind of the rush or the roaring, that made it a little bit more difficult to actually get onto them. Yeah. And I mean, and that's so like, it's like there's, with any situation, I feel like when you're hunting, there's there's advantages and disadvantages with being a human being. Like for instance, getting your mountain legs in an area like that sucks. Even when you're super fit, it's still going to suck. And I was thinking about this the other day when I was walking up a, um, a spur and I feel like I've got really good legs uh, and I, you know, hunt a lot in the high country. So you have to have good legs, but it's still hard. And, but these, you say I've got good legs as a human being, but these deer are going up and down these spurs up through these systems and these gullies every single day. So their legs are like, machines like so when you talk about fair chase and, and advantage and disadvantage of being a human being up on those mountains and having that disadvantage of of not having those legs you can kind of augment yourself in different ways so eyesight augment your eyesight through binoculars uh, or through a spotting scope uh, is, uh, is one way to kind of gain an advantage and get the jump on these did you find like you mentioned you're doing a lot of glassing did you see many from a distance and then you're basically having to close the gap um were you finding that you would see them and then you'd kind of drop elevation try and get closer and end up sending yourselves out like what what was that process like yeah so definitely using the binos and the binos and the um, spotting scope a lot just to cover the country because it's big open tops there with all your beach fringe country so you're glassing those pockets to see them hopefully feeding out in the afternoons or evenings but even that is is we did see we did see deer. There were a few getting around, but not what we were expecting. So once we did spot an animal, it was then trying to close in on on the deer. So you know, spotting at five, six, seven, eight hundred meters away, and then closing that distance. And you know, within that time, of course, they've moved on. So you're you're chasing around. Um, but you know, you say that, and then what the deer I did manage to get. <clears throat> 
it was pouring down with rain open tops middle of nowhere we were kind of my mate john and i were up there and we're you know kind of questioning our sanity what are we up to you know why why are we up here in the middle <laughs> of the open tops it's pouring rain there's gonna be no deer around and then out the corner of Jono's eyes he spots a, a stag 600 meters away right on the ridge line and coming straight for us and we just looked at each other and said you know you gotta be kidding <laughs> what's, what's this thing what's he doing up here so we, we managed to get ourselves into a, a pretty good position and um he, he pretty much walked about 150 meters out and just like in the clag and um i managed to get a good shot on him but you know you do all that work you know you think you're, you're doing all the right things and then the stag was literally up on the skyline so it was one of those moments you kind of you know you don't shoot, shoot deer sitting in the you know in the tent so it was definitely worthwhile being out but it was, it was wet and miserable, but we managed to get one, one on the deck. I feel like that's the one saving grace with hunting is that I've just learned over the years, like I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist, which is terrible. My, my wife's a pessimist and so we balance each other out. But being an eternal optimist allows me to keep a pocket of my mind during a hunt allocated to Murphy's Law, knowing full well that I can do 98% of the hunt the way that I think it should be done, making all the right decisions and saying absolutely nothing and then not feel disheartened because I go, there's 2% left. I've got the walk back to the car. Maybe yeah, Murphy exactly. will show up. Like, <laughs> And he it's does. Amazing. Like, it's, amazing. it's amazing how many times it does. It's like you say, you're walking the track back or you're in, you know, there's a, there's a dead right by camp. It's, it's always those... Um, those little yeah, little percentage, you know, little things that, that often they do turn up and it's, you know, you kind of shake your head in, in disbelief, but you got to be ready. You never know when. Exactly. And I feel like that makes you hungry. It makes you hungry for the hunt because you're like, you, you learn as a hunter, you're growing, you're evolving, you're hunting with different people, they're contributing different things. You're making, you're kind of testing and measuring uh, success based on that new knowledge and it's kind of like this scientific approach and you feel like you're getting better and better and better and then a stag just walks down the skyline to 150 probably in the wrong direction with the wind because you're you know trying to hunt with the wind in your face and everything is wrong everything is completely against everything that you know and then it's successful and then part of you just goes oh great there's still things to learn <laughs> still exactly it's, it's, so it's just cool. one of those cra- crazy things and it's um and it's, it's a great thing about, you know, like this is a new area. I'd never been there before. So, you know, we were just keen to cover country. So we just spent the six days covering as much country as we could, just getting a feel for the area. And and that's one thing I love with the hunting aspect as well. You know, it's just not about taking the deer, but I love exploring. So if, you know, it's always wondering what's over that next ridge, what's over that next ridge. So it's always pushing, pushing, pushing a little bit further to, you know, to see what's around the corner. Or is there, you know, is there a deer over that ridge or what's over there? And it's just, yeah, just love it. And I feel like there's... It's, I think about willpower quite a lot um, and it's this for me it's this elusive thing it's like do you have it or do you not how how do you muster it how do you grow it how do you sustain it how do you test it all these different things because there is a level to how optimistic you can be right with those ridge lines it's like oh let's just pop over the next ridge line and you pop over and like there's nothing you're like oh, okay let's go to the next one and you pop over and like there's nothing and then you do that for like six days and for whatever reason, that elusive willpower starts to kind of melt through your fingers. You start to lose it. Um, and, and even with that 2% allocated to Murphy's Law, it can be hard to put in all of that work and see no reward. And especially in a day and an age where everything is spoon-fed to us, man, that is a skill to grow. But like you said before, when you when you 
put in that time and experience that pain or experience that difficulty or you or that journey and then you get the win where the stag just goes all right it's almost like nature goes all right you're all right i'll give i'll give it to you like i'll i'll give back and then you get that win um but, but then, even if, if we had, if, even if we hadn't shot that animal in that in that six day, you know, window, it, yeah. it's still, you know, it's still so rewarding. I'll, you know, I'd look back on that trip and go, okay, I, I explored a new area. I know now if I ever want to go back, I know exactly what's going on. I've got a good feel for the for, feel for the land. You know, I covered that all that way out there, and I've covered all that direction. So, you know, it, it was a success even without you know getting the stag for the for the trip. But it was a little, you know, kind of added added bonus. Tell me what a trip like that does for your mental health, especially we've experienced a whole lot of, you know, lockdowns. I don't want to talk about COVID. No one wants to talk about COVID anymore, but we've experienced a lot of restrictions. Everyone's really busy. You're a busy man yourself with work. What does a trip like that do for your mental health? What do you get out of it? Well, I suppose, first of all, I will say, if you do notice in mullet, I am doing <laughs> mullets for mental health this month. So you're definitely a big, big thing I'm pretty passionate about. Can I say um, as well, lose- first off, I, I hadn't met you before. I mean, I didn't know you before the mullet. So I met you like during the mullet and I was just like, he's, this is just him. He's just got a mullet. This is mullet. <laughs> this is mullet, man. But it's you've something you've grown. Yes, I'm, I'm growing this for the mullets for mental health. Pretty big thing I'm, I'm passionate about. I did lose two mates last year to suicide. So it's um it just rocks you. So the mental health aspect for me at the moment and, and you know, just trying to, kind of pass on as much as I learn so I'm, I'm often you know, looking into it and kind of researching about it but for me personally the hunting the outdoors is a huge kind of super important part of my life and just to reset the old clock reset the headspace and just yeah especially with the, I've got a super, super supportive uh, partner and she understands you know how important these trips are for me so you often see on some of my videos on on YouTube you know I'm often on solo solo hunting and camping trips around the place and and often people say you know why are you off on a solo trip? You, you know, you, do you really enjoy those solo trips? And, and for me, it's crucial. It's just that chance just to to reset the clock and I don't know, just to ground myself. And um, I try at least to get away a couple of times a month just to by myself. And um, yeah, super super important for me. And I think it could be quite beneficial for other people as well. So let's dig deeper into that. What specifically about being out there in the bush, camping, hunting by yourself? gives you that reprieve you said it kind of resets it kind of gives something back what what specifically is it about hunting that does that for you i don't know if it's just the hunting aspect it's more that kind of solo time alone in the bush for me personally um you know you've got the stresses of work stresses of life for me it's an opportunity to throw the phone away the phone majority of the time you're out of reception so there's no kind of external um voices coming in so it's such that chance just for me to be out there by myself um and just process it just gives me an opportunity to process you know things that have been going going on and it's just that time alone in a beautiful spot in the bush which which i love um that you know i find super helpful for me just just to reset yeah isn't it funny how how you can spend time out in nature which is full of stimulus like more stimulus that you can receive from a phone in terms of push notifications or from a family or a partner or, or even a workplace. It's far more stimulus. Yet at the same time, all of that stimulus doesn't make you nervous, doesn't make you anxious. It doesn't compete for your attention. It kind of comes in and it goes out and you can choose and pick what you want to engage with. 
which is what I've always found interesting and beautiful is is that you can walk into a beautiful landscape and appreciate the the shape of a gully or you can focus on the grass and what's interesting about the grass or you can be thinking about how the wind is moving through that gully and or you can be thinking about the sounds of the birds and how it's like there's so much going on and it's almost like once you empty everything else out of your head like you shake out like a piggy bank little things can start to seep in and you can appreciate them and enjoy them and it's like this radio station that was playing the whole time anyway but you can just dial in and then listen and listen to it and then change stations and listen to a different track and change stations to something else and there's this kind of relaxing flow to it. I mean, that's probably the no, best di- way that di- I can no, describe to people. No, definitely, because I think in today's age, we're just, we're just kind of bombarded from all these kind of external, you know, what I call external voices, everything, you know, from socials to, to a whole range of things. So just being able to put that away, put that aside, and, you know, it's just, yeah, just to th- immerse myself if it's hunting, you know, hunting an aspect or even just like photography or parts of that, just... Just capturing that moment for myself is just, um, yeah, great. I, I love it. I just recently got back from a trip I did to uh, Sticks State Forest, so that was hunting down New South Wales. I spent four days, it was about a six-hour drive from Brizzy, so a fair way south across the border into New South Wales, and then spent four days by myself driving around the State Forest, exploring all the different campsites, swimming in the river, freezing cold, absolutely freezing winter, but loved it. You know, it's just, just amazing just being able to explore and take in what the beauty there is out there. It's just, um, yeah, it's just magical. Uh, yeah, it's, one, it's, it's what I love. You know, it's what I really love. Do you find that it takes time to kind of ease into that? Like, do you can you just completely switch off and say, all right, phone's gone, I'm in the car, and then ex- do you experience that relief immediately? Or do you find that you have to kind of slowly move into it? And then as you're, and then maybe another question is, is as you're leaving that trip and you're coming back, do you find it's a gradual kind of, you know, volume increase of the static again or, or what's, yeah. run me through that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a straight switch off. There's, you know, everything from work, life, that you, it, as you start to drive that six hours down, that's still going through your mind. You're still getting text messages coming through and bits and pieces. But, you know, after that first night in the bush, sitting around the campfire, um, just with your thoughts and nothing else, that's when the dial definitely just starts turning down and you start, you know, immersing yourself. Just like just sitting around, who, who doesn't love just sitting around the fire and just and just looking at it for hours? <laughs> you know, literally just sitting there and just yeah. looking at the fire. And it's, um, you know, there's the, it sticks in the uh, state forest, you know, beautiful river, just kind of, you know, bubbling away beside with the, with the fire going and, and um, definitely that dial that gets turned right back down and just, and just loving it. I think that there's so much... It's it's interesting when we talk about uh, like people talk about being an effective human being or getting a lot done or the measure of value on a human being or on a life maybe is a better way to look at it is by doing all this stuff by achieving all these things but there's something beautiful about like waking kind of shaking yourself out of a, a trance when you've been staring at a fire for like 30 minutes <laughs> and you're by yourself and you're like, Oh geez, I just burnt 30 minutes looking at that fire. And I almost can't even remember it. Like it's like when you're driving a car and you're driving from A to B and you've, you've driven that route so many times that you kind of wake up and you've traveled like 20 kilometers and you're like, Oh, I, I wasn't even aware of that last 20 kilometers. I was just in autopilot. And I feel like there's something beautiful about that process. There's something good and natural and and 
It's when we don't have that that we become these anxious, uptight, grumpy people. Uh, if we don't unwind and we don't almost let ourselves go into autopilot a bit. Uh, and fires, like you said, they're great for that. <laughs> and, and, and just like I was saying before, you know, my partner knows how important it is for me for that chance to reset because if I don't get that time away by myself, you can tell the difference with me. You know, it's just those things that it's just, yeah, for, some, for, for me, that for those, those trips away are just super important just for me to be able to, I don't, know, I don't even know how to really explain it, but I'm lucky I've got a supportive partner that allows me to get away and do it. Um, and yeah, it's it's definitely high on the list of things that I have to make sure I, I, I keep doing. When you when you don't do it, let's let's get real, let's get real honest, okay? Because that's what this whole podcast is about is is no no small talk, no BS. So when you don't have that, um, in the times when you haven't had that, what happens? Do you get grouchy? Do you get snappy? Do you get grumpy? Do you get sooky? Like what's what happens to you as a person when you don't have that time? Well, I'm one of those per- people that just love to be busy. So I'm doing a thousand and one things all the time. So I'm always up early into it, big days. Um, I, I kind of don't stop. So it, I, I just, I, I've got to find things to keep me occupied. So it's, you know, constantly looking for something. I probably do get a bit short and a bit snappy and <laughs> the partner knows knows when it's time for me to go go bush and and reset but but um otherwise i try and make if i don't get away then i try and make up for it by doing more things i suppose here in, in brisbane um but yeah i just start increasing my workload in bits and pieces to try and compensate i think and it's just been good to be able to slow everything right back turn that dial down and then just take that time out for me which um i don't think enough people do does your partner preemptively have those conversations and says, Hey Jace, you're, you're getting a bit snappy, mate. Like I think you need to go out or, or are you better at going no. and saying, Hey, I've got, you know, um, I'd love to go out this weekend or next weekend or whenever a month's time. Can, do you mind if I go out? Like what's run me through that process? Yeah. It's just more me letting her know that it's time. <laughs> yeah. It's time for me to, to head bush for a bit of a trip. And, um, so you know, load the ute up and, and off I go for you know one, two, three nights and and then and then back and and then you know then I'm good for another couple of weeks at least. <laughs> does, does she know? Did she know you were like that before you met her, or is this something that's evolved throughout your relationship? Like, did when you met, did you say, "Hey, this I'm I'm this person. These are my needs. This is how I act. This is how I recharge. And if this is to work, like get on board, or or oh, <laughs> this isn't going to work. Like, like tell me, run me through that." Yeah, no, definitely. I've been very open since the start, especially about being a hunter. That was number one. So I've been hunting for, I don't know, 20 years now. So that was always, I've been with my partner 10 years, I think. So she, you know, from day one, I've made that very clear that hunting was an important part of my life. So, which she's accepted. She's not, you know, she doesn't come along hunting with me, but she accepts what I what I do and what I love. So I definitely made that super clear from the start because you need someone that's going to be supportive. I know that this is such a big part of who I am. And if you don't have that supportive partner in their relationship, then it's, in my mind, it's not going to work. So, um, yeah, having that support from a, being up front from the start, um, you know, back just before I met her, I spent six months hunting with a mate through New Zealand. So I kind of gave her a heads up of what I have done previously, what I might do again in the future. So just to make it super clear that, you know, how big and important part it is, is for my life. And, um, you know, that she accepts it so and super supportive. So what more can that, you ask for? That's so good. I mean, like, I think it's a, I think some people just, they find it hard to make that initial concession, but what at least 
the what I've received from my wife, what I've learned from my wife, and when we've been talking about this, is that she's once she's she's found it easier. The more that she's allowed me to do that, because she's much the same. We talk about it being like a, an elastic band or a rubber band, and if she lets me stretch and 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 kind of distance myself then I will spring back. And when I spring back, I'll be a better man for it. I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better father. I'll be a better friend. I'll be a better lover. All of these different things. But if I if I stretch and then she springs back to me, all I want to do is stretch again. And then and then we're further from our, our starting point. And if we do that enough, we'll, be, we'll find ourselves in a completely different location than where we actually want to be. And so that analogy has been really helpful for us. And I know that now she knows, my wife Amy knows, that I'm, I'm happier when I'm back. And so it's like small sacrifice. I mean, especially for us, because we have kids, young kids at the time of this recording, uh, you know, an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, like that's a sacrifice that she has to take. It's not like when I leave that she can just, it's just like, oh, well, Chris is gone. I'll do whatever I want to do. I mean, if that, when she goes, I'm like, <laughs> I'm very, I, I like my own time. So it doesn't really affect me that much, but Amy is much more social. So she really misses me when I'm gone and I miss her, but not in the same way. And so she, it's a sacrifice for her to, to allow me to go do that. But she knows that this is the way I am. And if she wants the most out of the relationship, if she wants the most out of me, then time and time again, she's seen the evidence of that. And that makes it a bit easier, I think. Yeah. Well, I think. for Nadine and I, we don't have kids, so we don't really have that kid aspect. And I also work you know, in the mind. So I have a quite a, a reasonable roster. So it does give me a, a lot more flexibility than the average person, which I am grateful for as well. So I do have the freedom to get away a lot more than, than the average person. Um, so I, I make the most of it. I'll take that opportunity and um, I definitely try and get out a lot. So it's, um, yeah, one of the one of the kind of uh, benefits and positive things from, um, I suppose not having kids at the moment and and also that 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 kind of lifestyle roster I'm working. If we can go back and if this is too sensitive uh, a topic let me know but I again I want to get to the heart of things. Uh when your when your two friends committed suicide did you intentionally like what was that what was that like for you as a young man having these relationships being in a I, I imagine you were in a good place yourself, uh, and then having this happen, how did that affect? How did that affect you? Oh, it was, it was tough to be honest. I really yeah battled through that. It was uh, so one was a workmate, one was a mate back in New Zealand, and yeah, it's it just you know the ripple effect of it is just um, yeah, it's devastating to be honest. It's yeah super devastating and. You know, you kind of quote, you know, question why, you know, what it's, you know, it's just, yeah, so many questions. That's that's the tough one with it, um, and that's kind of given me the, yeah, definitely the motivation to, you know, to look into it a bit more, get more of an understanding around mental health. Um, but yeah, just that the ripple effect from it is just devastating to families and friends. It's, yeah, it's shocking. Did you kind of when that experience happened and these these feelings came the, that you needed to, to process and, and feel and experience and they're obviously bottling up inside of you and you're feeling the weight and the pressure increase. Did, did you, did, retreat's not the, the right word, but did you find solace in hunting? Was that something intentional and you were like, oh man, I need to, I need to go out. I need to like process this in an environment that's not work or that's not home. I need to process this in, this in a place where 
where I can turn that radio down and just and just kind of feel things in a natural way. Hunting in the outdoors has definitely been one aspect, but the main aspect of kind of found strength and kind of help to turn the noise down is fitness, just everyday fitness for me. Um, so pretty much once that happened, just got myself into a regular kind of routine of, of exercise, to be honest. And from there, just kind of religiously sticking to that routine um, and incorporating the hunting and outdoor kind of lifestyle into it. But, you know, I'm out of work 11 days straight. So I work 11 days on, 10 days off. So, you know, it's kind of that groundhog day. It was one of my workmates that actually um, passed last year. So, you know, you're kind of in that environment, you know, 11 days. And for me, fitness, exercise, you know, every evening getting into doing something has helped me just, yeah, kind of deal with it as well as just turn that turn the dial down and 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 you feel so much better as well. You know, finishing up the day, get into the gym, going to play tennis, playing some basketball. It doesn't also, you know, improves your fitness, it helps your hunting, which is a definite bonus. Um <laughs> yeah. but to me that really helps my headspace. That's that's the big one I've really um taken you know and really run with it. What's what specifically about that fitness gives you that reprieve or um, that healing is it? Is it the repetitive nature? Is it the discipline? Is it kind of going, bringing structure to the chaos? And you know, suicide is is something that just doesn't feel natural, doesn't feel logical. And and when when something like that can happen, you can feel like every all of the reality that you thought existed is slow, is becoming untethered, and you kind of starting to lose your grip on, you know, what makes sense. Where whereas fitness is very much a, I can take control, I can be like you said religious about it like uh ritualistic about it in some sense is is that part of what what made it helpful For, well i suppose one thing like a lot of blokes i'm not the best you know i'm not the best about talking like, about things like this you know i probably should be a little bit more open about about you know chatting and talking about it uh, but you know as blokes we kind of um yeah, i don't know it's not always the easiest to talk about so for me exercise was a way to just yeah, get into that rhythm, get into that routine, and you know, get the endorphins going. Get you know, you feel good. Like there's nothing better than it's so easy to come come home at the end of the day and just jump on the couch and turn the TV on. But you feel crap. You feel average. You haven't achieved. For me, getting back, getting that discipline, getting that motivation to you know do a 12-hour day at work plus then go play tennis for two hours, go play basketball for two hours. You know, it's big long days, but it um. It just yeah, it just really helps the headspace, keeps the um, the energy levels up, and keeps your mind um, ticking over. So yeah, it's I don't know exactly know the you know the answer to that one, but for me, of it's yeah, it's been really uh, really positive. I think you've already answered it somewhat in what you've just said. It, there's something about satisfaction and gaining wins and feeling like you've achieved something that that can help raise the spirits or can help you feel a sense of purpose or or feel like you belong. I mean, like you said, it's so easy to flick on Netflix and just binge, like just not binges in the channel, binges in the process of just sitting there and just letting, letting the noise distract you. Whereas fitness or hunting or camping or something that involves something from you or takes something from you, but also gives back, you can go, no, I went and I did something. I accomplished something. I 
I strengthen my arms or my legs or my body or or I strengthen my mind or I strengthen my spirit or it's it's like when you experience the loss of a loved one that creates a hole in you that creates a gap in you and sometimes things like hunting and fitness can start to fill that that hole with positive things and uh that's uh that's really that's really quite profound I mean when it comes to hunting do, are you attracted to the difficult hunts? Like recently I went to uh, spend a bit of time in Queensland and uh, sometimes the hunting there, feel, well, at least the people that I were hunting with, uh, and I'm not going to drop names and I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but it was like a, let's sit by a dam in the afternoon and just watch some deer roll in and then we'll shoot them. And for me, my my kind of background in hunting is three days of pain on crazy elevations, walking a lot, and it hurts. And if you get to see a deer, that's amazing. And if you get to see a deer and execute on that deer, that's even better. And then you've got a sucky job of <laughs> packing up like a 230-kilo samba from the bottom of a, of a system and bringing it back up the top for like a day of, of work. So it just sucks and it's just hard. Um, what, what, Which do you prefer or do you like to mix and match? Like what, what's the kind of hunting that you like to do? So I'm lucky enough up, up in here in Queensland, I do have access to some private property. So it is a little bit on the easier side of, of the hunting kind of um, aspect. I, I enjoy that. It's a good chance to go out there with a mate and, and spend time with him. But in the day, the, the, the hunts that I love are the ones that are really going to test you. So if it's, you know, heading back to New Zealand, hunting, you know, Wapiti and Fiordland or chasing tar in, tar in the Southern Alps or, you know, Seeker or, or whatever the quarry is, it's, Definitely those hunts are going to push you further and further and further. So, you know, like I was saying before, I spent six months with a mate. Um, we, we hunted the length of New Zealand. So started down Stewart Island, South Island, North Island over six months. And, you know, we're doing trips in the bush up to three weeks at a time, um, carrying all our food and, and bits and pieces in the backpack and, you know, really pushing the pushing the limits of, of what you could do. So um, those are the hunts I, I love. Unfortunately, I don't do them as much as I'd, I'd like these days, but... I'm hoping to start increasing it now with the borders back over, getting back to New Zealand a fair bit more. I'm even tempted to pop down um, and give the Samba a run down the Vikai country and um, maybe spend, you know, seven days hunting the Samba, which um, I think is definitely, definitely up on the old bucket list. Yeah, that's great. Well, mate, you're more than welcome to come down with me um, and you can leave me for dead and show me... <laughs> you can show me how to hunt Samba. I feel like... Um, it's, you, maybe this is something that you can resonate with, you know, creating content on YouTube yourself. But you make things on YouTube and you release things. And as a hunter, people just assume that you think you're great or, or that you think you're a professional or you're, or you're you know, <laughs> I've, I've never claimed to be a great hunter, a great shooter. I've never claimed to know lots of things or be a professional. And yet... People just love to rip on you, no, no matter oh, what. Yeah. And oh, oh, definitely. You, you think you're trying to help, or you're trying to. I love just documenting my hunts, documenting things I do, and you know, you get all the comments. So I just kind of let that soar over the top of my head. And at the end of the day, I'm on me. I'm doing what I, I love doing. And and you know, if I don't bone a deer out the right way, or if I don't do whatever you know the, the exact correct way, then I don't care. Like this is just me being me. And and you know, you can like it or you can hate it. And it's just yeah, it's. The YouTube and the social thing—that's always gonna. You're always gonna have those the people that are, you know, you know. Probably the majority are, you know, all positive comments. And it's only those few people that 
that you're always going to kind of get. So um, yeah, it's the nature of, of putting yourself out there and you kind of have to expect it, to be honest. You know, there's so many people sitting behind their computer thinking they're all experts and, um, you know, it's guys like us just putting something together and hopefully a lot of people are enjoying. So why do you why do you film your hunts? Do you film your hunts, is it for you? Like you said before, so you can go back and look at it and be like, oh, geez, wasn't that great or what a great memory or kind of relive those moments and capture and document and... Uh, you know, share those moments or, or are you, do you have an intention of doing something greater than that? Or it's not greater or just something more. Are you creating the content for other people or do you have other goals in mind, financial goals in mind? Like why, why do you film your hunts? Cause it's, it's not, not being a, you know, a hunter that films hunts. I'm not, I'm not a YouTuber. I'm a hunter that films my hunts. I know that there's a sacrifice involved in that. It's like hundred percent. Like it's like you're sacrificing your time, you're sacrificing your your brain space, your attention, you're sacrificing on your ability to execute on that hunt. And so, if it's if you're not doing it for a reason, it's there's like then don't do it. So my question to you is this: Why do you film your hunts? So yeah, first of all, if you think you're going to make money out of YouTube, if you're not listening or watching, you're not going to. Okay, so you don't do it for the money. Well, I definitely don't from what I make out of YouTube, but. Um, for me, I love photography, I love videography, I love hunting. I probably now just as much enjoy the videography and photography side of as actually pulling the trigger, to be honest. Um, it's I love being able to document a hunt, and what I'm trying to work on at the moment is constantly improving those videos to try and tell a story, to try and get viewers engaged, to enjoy, to come along on the hunt with me. Um, I enjoy the storytelling kind of side of things, and just trying to improve my skill set to to portray what we as hunters are, how we go about it. And yeah, I'm hoping to try and portray us in a bit more of a a positive light. I think we get a pretty bad rap a lot of the times, which we sometimes unfortunately do on ourselves. But um, I hope with some of my videos, I know definitely some, not all of them, but um, it's going to help portray what we do as hunters um, to the public. So, you know, it's a great place to kind of be out there showing what we do, why we love it. And um, yeah, I hope some of my videos kind of show that. Do you feel a pressure? I mean, if, if you're representing hunting to a, a hunting audience, but also to a non-hunting audience, do you feel a pressure to censor or hold back or just be sensitive? Or do you just think, no, this is what we do. And as long as I'm being authentic... It, for instance, if you shoot a deer, uh, are you going to show the bullet hole? Are you going to show gutting? Like, how? how w- what's your process and what's your thoughts regarding that? Yes, yeah, so I'm very open with all my videos. I'll show shots. I'll show. I definitely show all the butchering. Um, I'm very kind of. I try and promote the, the, all the, the butchering side of things to show what actually does happen um, once the you know the shots taken. That's not the, that's the, the shot take, taking the shots. The easy part. Then it's boning out the meat, getting the meat back to camp, processing the meat. So I'm very open about that. But there are some aspects of our hunts that, like a recent hunt, for instance, I shot a couple of wild dogs and <clears throat> I really kind of wrestled with the idea, do I show the footage? Do I not show the footage or how, or, or do I just kind of keep it totally out of the video? So I, I actually wrestled with that idea a lot. I sent messages to mates to kind of get feedback from them for thoughts because it's such a controversial topic. So I was hunting up in Queensland, 
uh, private property, the landholder, you know, has they ask us ask us to shoot wild dogs on the property. They're you know they're a big issue for them, um, and we managed to get two. So I really struggled though because I knew how how much of a controversial subject it can be. So in the end, I didn't show the shot. I showed a little bit of footage of the dingo of the uh, wild dogs, and I kind of left it at that. And I kind of gave it a bit of a spiel in the comments about why and, and the reasoning behind it. But that's probably been one of the harder videos I've put together. I just really didn't know how to go about it. And I think I came up with a pretty good compromise. But it's still still a very tough one. That was probably the toughest to date, actually. Do we have to compromise? I think we do, to be honest. Um, I think on a platform like YouTube or... We as a hunter need to portray, we need to, it's almost like a marketing campaign to be honest. Well, I kind of see it as like a marketing campaign for hunters or hunting. If if we don't compromise, I think which it can be quite a tough pill to swallow for a lot of the public, which is which is fine for a lot of people. But people you know, a lot of hunters will just be like, that's just, you know, that's what it is. But I think we need to build our I don't even know. Build our. Hmm. I think builders, our hunters, and especially in Australia, need to build up their reputation or, the, or how they're perceived by the public. So I, th- I think there is definitely some room for a little bit of compromise in some of the videos, in some of the social media posts. Um, you know, deer or your, your animal that you've shot in a pretty respectable, if you're going to start posing with them you know a decent nice photo i think just little things like that can go a long way to how we are perceived let me play devil's advocate for you and use some of your language uh that you've used to to kind of dig a bit deeper so if it's a marketing campaign shouldn't you accurate uh, accurately describe the product to the public and if it's a pill to swallow to heal an ailment does it matter that it's hard to swallow shouldn't you just swallow it unfortunately i think we're too with the public and hunting there's too much of a divide and i don't think we can be i think a little bit of compromise has to go through to get that marketing campaign across the line i think we've done a lot of damage in the past from the way we've been perceived and I think there's a lot of ground to make up for us to really kind of get a presence back in the community and be accepted generally like there's definitely kind of communities around especially rural areas and things where it's a lot more accepted but in a, in a city like Brisbane Melbourne um, it's still there's still a lot of room to go and a lot of room for movement to see us really kind of accepted as a um I don't know, as an acceptable kind of lifestyle, I would say. That's a fair point. Let me let me play devil's advocate again. And this is something that, like, like I, so let me make it clear that I agree with you. <laughs> but I think that there's more to mine from this. Um, so, I, so I will go there for the sake of the podcast and people listening and for the sake of knowledge in general. Do you think, do you honestly think society 
let's 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 just stay within Australia for the moment because it's different in different countries. Let's let's let, let be very clear about that, especially in America. The way that hunting is perceived in America is very very different. The way that hunting is seen in in a in an Islamic country is very very different. But in Australia, in our democracy, in the current situation in 2022, do you think with enough using your words, positive marketing from people like you putting in the time, thinking sensitively and carefully about your content. Do you think we can have a strong enough marketing campaign to make a difference, to change people's opinions, to carve out a little place in the social pie of, no, the hunters are are like people who are interested in 24-hour fitness or people who are interested in permaculture or do you think that we can do that? Yeah, I do. I definitely think there is. I don't think there's been room already or movement in that way. <clears throat> Sorry, there's been movement in a positive um, move towards hunters. Um, in Australia, like you say, it is a little bit... Um, okay, so being originally from New Zealand, hunting as a way of life is accepted around the country pretty well. Australia, since moving to Australia about 10 years ago, Hunting has always been a very, I've always been very open about it, always been proud of it, but it's always been a definitely, it was a big shock coming from New Zealand to Australia and seeing how hunters were perceived. But I think there has been progress with the main one being food, of marketing the food aspect of hunting, I think is our best way as the hunting community of being like you're saying, getting our little slice of the pie. I think that's going to be the main way that we will be better accepted within the Australian community, especially um, around the main capital cities. Do you think, um, just that that it's Australian society broadly that isn't accepting of hunting, or do you think it's a small pocket of society that has a very loud voice? And the reason why I ask that is because I am up with you. I, I One of the major reasons why I create hunting content on YouTube is because I want to, first of all, educate new hunters and help guide them and shape them because I know that they represent an angle that people see. And if we take mentoring and developing new hunters seriously, then then it's like everyone, each of those people becomes a poster child for hunting in a positive sense. So if we can replicate that, then then that's a great way to promote um, hunting as a positive lifestyle. Um, but also equally, I create hunting content for non-hunters as well, because I think that we need to, like you said, market ourselves. And, and I do that uh, in front of the camera and off the camera. So often I will go into our local supermarket fully dressed in camo, which sounds ridiculous, not on the way to a hunting trip, literally just like, I know this will generate conversation and I'm someone who's happy to have conversation. In fact, I love conversation. And so I'll be fully dressed in camo. I'll go through intentionally like the 10 items or less aisle because I want to talk to a human being and I'll put my stuff on the counter and nine out of 10 times they say, hi, how are you? And I'm like, I'm good. How are you? And they said, I'm good. I'm like, that's good. Why are you good? And then we start up a conversation and then that leads to, so are you, are you a hunter? And I was like, yeah, I am. What do you hunt? Uh, mainly deer. 
we have deer in this country? Oh, yeah, we have deer in this country. Let me tell you all about it. And there's been times when I've literally been in that aisle speaking to a, a like a person at the cashier for like 10 minutes about because they're interested and they're engaged. And that kind of leads me to the conclusion that maybe it's just a few people with loud voices that represent certain interests that don't like hunting. But Australian Australians in general, if you were to have a conversation with them out of the blue or run a poll, which I'd be curious if this has been done and if it has, and you're watching this on YouTube, drop a comment below and share a link. But if you said hunters, good or bad, what would the general population say? Like, what do you think? First of all, I think I've had this exactly the same situation with you of, of, of raising that conversation that, yes, I'm a hunter, and then you talk to someone and what you hunt, what do you hunt, where do you hunt, all this, and it gets that they're often, the majority of people are, are super interested and question, you know, they, like you say, you can spend, I can spend half an hour to an hour quite quickly rattling off what I'm up to and where I've been and what's going on. So I've definitely had that experience a lot, and I always am very open about it and try and get that conversation wherever possible. Um with the poll or, or how hunters are perceived um, perceived across Australia as a whole, I honestly wouldn't know. The, wouldn't it really? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think I think the majority would be that yes, we're okay. Yeah, and that potentially it is that the minority that really sings the loudest. And I think as the hunting community, we probably have to turn our dial up a little bit of every now and then and and kind of you know talk about why and what and and the reasoning behind why we should you know kind of have a a stronger presence or a stronger voice in australia but yeah i probably you're probably quite right it is the minority that's singing the loudest um but yeah we should should get a bit of a poll going i reckon and and see 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 what see what the australian people are saying let's dress up in camo and walk around the streets of brisbane and melbourne with the clipboard I'm, I'm, i'm up for that and we'll make sure that we're covered in blood and we've got deer hair all over us and we'll say, hunters, good or bad? I mean, the reason why I think it's helpful to think about this is because, and I haven't done a lot of thinking about this, to be honest. It's just something that came into my head and I thought we want to go deep, so let's go deep. The reason why I think about it is because if that is the reality and it is a small a small pocket that's singing really loud, like you've said, then that determines our posture and position when we're just acting like hunters. Because I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, whether you've had a different experience in this than what I have, that we can often be very defensive because we, because we assume that everyone's out to get us. And especially on the socials where you see one person make a single mistake and everyone jumps on them. Everyone tears out their throat. I had an experience recently in a Facebook group where a new hunter uh, asked a question and he said, hey, I'm new to hunting. I've just got my license, but I'm also really interested in bow hunting. Um, I'm really keen to get out there and into the state forest and do some hunting, especially kangaroos. I love kangaroos. Really looking forward to (laughs) bow hunting kangaroos. Man, I love kangaroo meat. Can anyone offer me some tips or places to go? And I saw that and and what I saw and this is not what everyone saw. This is what not what most people saw. What I saw is here's a person who's interested. They're enthusiastic. They're asking questions. Isn't that awesome? Now, 
there are some things that they clearly don't understand about the laws concerning hunting in Australia, especially concerning kangaroos, which you can't hunt legally, <laughs> and especially not with a bow. Uh, but he doesn't know that. And and before I could even, like, chuck a comment in, there was, like, 60 comments of people slamming this guy with all sorts of profanities and allegations and shame on you and you give hunters a bad name. And it's like, people, this guy asked a question. Let's not be this crazy defensive scared population that feels like we need to jump at this at a you know single misstep rather if we could be a community that's understanding and again taking people under our wing and saying mate you know what that's awesome that you're getting into hunting just so you know you can't actually hunt kangaroos and yes kangaroo meat is awesome but you can't hunt them with a bow and here are some of the reasons why legally at where you know while we have these laws as a country concerning hunting of kangaroos, but these are things that you can do and I'll, and like kind of push them in that direction. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? But yeah, because definitely the hunting community, probably you know when I do post something on you know Facebook, or Instagram, it's probably more I'm more worried about what the hunting community often is going to say in regards to my post than anyone else. To be honest, I don't get a lot of negativity from uh, the general public or the you know the antis. It's, it's probably more hunt, other hunters, like you're kind of saying, jumping on you. You know, why did you shoot that? Why didn't you shoot that one? What, what, you know, why, why, what, you know? So I think the hunting community, we're probably, yeah, we, we definitely don't do ourselves any favours with, like, the example you just spoke about there. And I think there's definitely big room for improvement, like you're saying, for us as a community to come together and how to hold ourselves accountable but at the same time, we have to all be in the same direction. And, and there's, there are definitely a lot of newcomers into the, into, the, into the hunting industry, especially in Australia here, or the hunting community. And it's about trying to mentor, show them the right way, and kind of you know guide them, as you're, as you're saying. But yeah, the, <clears throat> people are very quick to, to jump on that keyboard and, and, and slam, you know, slam a new guy that's coming in, or even the, the older guys that have done maybe something that was a little bit questionable. Um, we have to learn, kind of grow, and and be in the same direction. Otherwise, we're just going to get picked apart. So you mentioned some interesting things: accountability. How in this modern day and age do we stay accountable as hunters, especially with you know increasing restrictions or or limit further limitations? Look at Queensland, for example. No state forest hunting, uh, and there are a lot of people, a lot of hunters who feel the pressure of that. They have this desire, and I would say a wholesome desire, to want to get out there and hunt, but they don't have access to property. And so, like you said, sometimes hunters make questionable decisions. Um, poaching is a huge issue across Australia. It's a crazy issue in Queensland. I mean, it even happens in places where there is state forests like Victoria and New South Wales, but it happens obviously everywhere. How do we keep ourselves accountable? Yeah, so definitely um, accountability is a big one. I did a few a few uh, videos just on, I just went out and explored some of the state forests up here in Queensland just to see what game and things I could come, come across. And there's a lot of deer in there. There's a lot of deer in our state forests. And the majority of the comments were from hunters saying, poach this, get a bow, hunt it at night. So yeah, there is a huge issue with poaching going on in the state forests. Uh, it'd be great to see the government 
move to adopt something like the New South Wales, you know, state forests, you know, you can hunt across the border in New South Wales, but I don't see that happening in the sh- in the short or long term. But accountability as a hunter, at the end of the day, we're all individuals, and as much as we are a community, there's always going to be people that they're not going to you know play by the rules unfortunately and often those are the ones that are going to get the spotlight they're the ones you see in the news you know the the kangaroo that's been shot with a bow uh, you know with a bow and arrow and they've got the the arrow sticking out of the kangaroo you know it's the big things those are the things that always make make the news um it's probably those rogue few that well the rogue few that give who are not accountable for their actions or only when they actually get caught um Yes, it's a tough one. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of rogue hunters out there, um, and unfortunately, they, we we all fall under the same umbrella. And I don't exactly know how we can. Yeah, it's it's kind of up to your own your morals and your kind of character as a, as a as a hunter. So that makes it really difficult. I fear, like we're talking about before, how we can have an optimistic view about the hunting part of the social pie kind of getting cut out and being legitimate in its place. And if there's anything I know about human beings, uh, it's that we are deceitful, (laughs) untrustworthy, unreliable. Uh, Yes, I have an optimistic view about life in general and I love people. I think we all have value. But I also know that we're all broken in some regard and we do make mistakes and we do fall short and no one's perfect. And so my fear is, is if the only accountability that we have is either our own moral conscience and ethical framework or the hard line of the law catching us out and putting financial pressure on us in terms of fines or jail time or community service or any other number of um, judicial kind of consequences, if that's the only thing, if they're the only two things that can keep us accountable, that's incredibly dangerous. And that doesn't bode well for society because I think you're a man of integrity uh, from the time that we've spent together. Um, and not just, I'm not just talking about this podcast. I'm talking about previous chats that I've had in person or over dinner. I think you're a man of integrity, so I have no worries about you. And I hope that you feel the same way about me. And a lot of the other hunters I know, I I trust as well. But it's the hunters that I know who are self-declared poachers that I worry about. Um, see, I don't have to worry about you being accountable because you have a strong ethical framework or because I hope that we'd have a strength of relationship that if I caught you doing something or heard you doing something or you told me you did something questionable, I'd say, mate, what are you doing? And you'd say, oh, geez, you're right. And you'd take that on board and you'd learn and grow. Um, But it's the hunters that who are like, it's my right. And I know a lot of them. I know a lot of hunters who are like, I don't care. It's my right to go out into those state forests. It's my right to go onto that person's property. If I'm not hurting their livestock, if if they don't see me, if they don't even know that I was there, it's my right. Um, so is there is there no other hope? I mean, I feel like I have a little answer, but I want to see if <laughs> see if you have any other thoughts. Is is there no other way that we can stay accountable? 
apart from those things? Well, well for me, I suppose it's just the way I try and show... I don't, I don't think there is a lot of options in regards to... Well, all we can do is help continue to build our community. There's always going to be the rogue ones. There's, there's rogue people, you know, there's rogue groups in every kind of whatever, you, whatever you're into. It's For me, it's more about portraying through my videos, through my socials, of what we should be as hunters and trying to grow in that direction. But to be honest, you're always going to have your poachers. It's, it's, you're always going to have the people that are going to do what they want. I don't think there's any way that you can get around that, to be honest. You, you mentioned your community, um, being accountable to your community. Who is your community? When you say community, what do you mean? Break that down for me. Well, when I talk about my community, it's my followers, the people that follow me on, on my Instagram, my friends, my fa- my family, the groups I'm associated with, so, you know, Australian Deer Association, you know, all those those different organisations. But the biggest one for me is what I kind of put out into into the public, what they see, and hopefully they they kind of adopt, you know, the same um, the same not mindset, but same kind of. Um... Let me bounce off what you said with about the ADA. I don't know how affiliated you said you're affiliated. I don't know how deeply connected you are to your local ADA branch. If you went and Let's say that let's use that that wild dog example. You went and shot some wild dog, and this is not a great example because the ADA are all about deer, not about wild dogs, <laughs> and the two don't have a lot to do with each other. Although there is a crossover, but let's say for instance the ADA were really concerned about wild dogs, uh, and and the image of the hunter engaging with wild dogs, and you went and you did this video, and you had no sensitivity. You plastered footage of the dog getting its head blown off and then you picked up the head and you shook it from the camera and were like yeah boy look at this and you were just completely insensitive to the people who you know would perceive that in the wrong sense um and maybe even did maybe even is the wrong thing to do all that is your strength with the community that is the ada strong enough that someone would call you up and say mate saw your video or heard from Bob who you were hunting with, geez, mate, what what's going on? Like, pull your head in. Like, would, would do you think that would happen? Do you know anyone in the ADA who would do that for you? So, personally, I'm not that strongly associated with the ADA, so it was a bit of a bad example before I'm a member, but I'm not a kind of active active member with the, with the ADA. I suppose I'd hope that my community on YouTube would pull me up. I think I'd have a stronger connection with them and if they saw me, what? And they have people have pulled me up on things before, um, shooting younger stags. That's one of the ones I could probably be pretty honest. Is you know, guys pulling me up and saying, "Hey, you know that twelve point red stag you shot? Why should have left it?" And in hindsight, looking back, I probably should have. It's probably one of those things that I pulled the trigger. I have to, you know, I made that decision. I took that that stag, and. Then someone has said, you know, was it was it the right decision? Was it the best decision for the the Queensland herd in that area? And if I had given that deer maybe a couple more years, it, you know, it was a twelve pointer, but it would have definitely had some more room for length. Um, so I suppose that's somewhere where the community or my community for the through YouTube has kind of gone, hey, you know, was that the right decision? That's probably the best example I can think of. That that's interesting because. I mean, you're talking about people in a community that you don't physically know, right? But obviously the strength of that connection 
is such that it forces you to introspect and think about that and then change, which is really interesting because usually for most people, that only happens when you're confronted with someone who you have a deep relationship with. Like you obviously don't let everyone, if you, if you took the criticism of everyone that you met, you would be a shell of a person. Like you'd be a nervous wreck and anxious wreck. So we pick and choose who we're accountable to, but it's interesting that for you, your community is, has that kind of unique position and power to, to influence you. Um, and that's a that's a really positive thing. Uh, I mean, you, obviously, you you've, I'm, I imagine you've gone through a journey, a journey where you're you don't listen to everything your community says, uh, and you take it with a grain of salt, and you have a filter. Um, my question is then, what about people who don't have a YouTube channel and don't have a YouTube community? Um, they're left to like their own mates or social media. Let's say Joe Blow. Went and shot a 12-pointer, really young, uh, and he posted it on YouTube, and he gets absolutely ripped to shreds. Not YouTube, sorry, Facebook. Gets ripped to shreds by everyone on there. Is that kind of accountability positive, or is there a better way for it to manifest, and what would that better way look like? Well, there's definitely a better way. Like, If you read all your comments and, and took all the advice from everyone that's, that left a comment, then... Sure, I wouldn't be doing much. I'd be, um, but <laughs> over, like, like, like I was saying before, most of the comments I do get are positive. Um, and at the end of the day, it's my decision when I'm out there what I'm going to do. For Joe Blogs, shoot the 12 point and then post it on Facebook. Once again, you're putting yourself into that into that public forum. So as soon as you post that photo, then you are, you know, you're, you're opening yourself up to a lot of potential criticism or comments. So as soon as you hit that post button, it, it's it's the nature of social media these days. So, if you want to um, post up, you're gonna have to expect some backlash. If is there a better way? I definitely think there is. Um, mentorship, trying to find someone that you can learn from. Um, I think I remember watching a couple of your videos that you found a mentor pretty early in your in your hunting career. I had the same thing. So, from a, from um, when I started through university. Um, met up with a couple of great mates, still great mates now with them, and they kind of showed me the ropes. And um, that was back in New Zealand, and it was kind of learning and, and seeing and kind of observing what and how they went about it and also kind of their moral compass in the hunting um, hunting world. And I suppose I picked up a lot from them and continued to grow with that over the years. But definitely being able to put yourself with someone or learning from someone is just, you know, leaps and bounds, in my opinion, above posting things up on Facebook and and trying to get the public feedback from there because yeah, it can be pretty. Confronting. The public uh, thermometer of like, mm. how hot is this? Let's just dip my finger in. Oh, it's really hot. <laughs> well, yeah, so then the exactly. question is, uh, Jane Doe. Jane Doe has just started hunting. What's what's your advice for her on how she finds a mentor? So I often get comments. I'm always getting comments from guys saying, "Hey, can you take me out public, um, hunting? I, I can't hunt anywhere up in Queensland." And unfortunately, the, the land I do have access to, I can't go there by myself. It's through another person, so I don't have personally have public access or sorry, private access to to you know mentor people. Um, what I usually recommend, which is probably not the best, I'm not even that. If you know, as I say, join the Australian Deer Association. 
Um, that's an easy one that you can soon get yourself around like-minded people. It's they do do you know branch hunts. They do have some exposure. They're f- apart from that, to be honest, I, I that's my usual go-to is just the Australian Deer Association. There are a few pages on Facebook which you know hunters hunting beginners in Australia and bits and pieces, um, and it's um, it's not an easy thing to find a mentor because most people are very cagey it's not easy that someone's going to take you under their wing and say hey come along with me i'll take you to you know my spider we'll go we'll go hunt deer or we'll go hunt goats it's and there's unfortunately it's going to be a lot of trial by error a lot of learning uh there are a few good courses that people do run um, not so many up here in queensland but i know definitely down in victoria and things they do some great hunter education training yeah. um but yeah, apart from that, it's it's definitely a hard one to get into if you don't know someone that's already doing it. Yeah, I think you're spot on that clubs are essential. Um, I've really, really been convinced over the last probably year, year and a half of the importance of clubs in the hunting ecosystem. And if we don't champion clubs, and I'm talking about championing the clubs that are doing good. Not every club is good. Um, Not every branch of a club that is good is good. Uh, And so there needs to be a certain due diligence for the person to go out there and have a look and ask some questions from people and say, does hunting club X, Y, and Z do anything for you? Or is it literally just genuine reason and insurance? Um, Are people actively connecting? Are people actively finding mentors? Are people actively going out on hunts together? Or is it all just a load of fluff? Um, the money that's going into clubs, if it's an associated body, is that getting spent on the right thing? Uh, Like, is it worth it is the big question. Because what really saddens me, and I've spent a lot of time, especially in the last eight, nine, ten months researching this, is there's just a lot of terrible clubs out there that are just going through the motions, that are full of infighting, that are full of politicizing, that are full of people... It's like at the top upper echelon get great benefits. They have great hunting opportunities. Uh, But your standard pleb who's just a regular member gets nothing. And if we can't rely on our clubs to offer opportunity, learning and education, like you mentioned, what the ADA do with their hunter ed stuff, which is fantastic, um, uh, mentoring and hunting opportunities, then I don't think there is another answer. I don't think there honestly is. You can't, and this is going to suck for people who are watching this on YouTube, but I'm going to say it if even if Chase won't, is that you You can't expect the YouTuber, YouTuber, I'm gonna, I hate myself for saying that, the hunter <laughs> who is producing content on YouTube to go out on a hunt with you. And I don't want to say that to be mean. I'm not trying to be um, pessimistic. I'm just trying to be honest and real because that hunter has so, and I'm not even talking about myself. I actually do a lot of hunts with people, but, but at the same time, we have these, we have lives, we have families, we have jobs, and we're trying to work really hard to do these things. And there's this kind of romantic, romanticism, romanticism, whatever that word is (laughs) of like going out on the hunt with that person and having them as your mentor. The reality is that if they've got like, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000 subs as some as these channels do, they can't do that for 50,000 people. 
they might be able to do it for one person. And if they do, that is a miracle and that is fantastic and that is awesome. But they can't do that for everyone. Uh, Jason can't. I can't. Uh, Prof D can't. Uh, Zebra can't. Uh, the guys from Bolt you know, Action Productions can't. Hill Dog can't. Like, that's not the answer. I think the answer is finding a really good, authentic, honest, hardworking club that can connect you with people who can. Um, because, again, you can uh, teach someone to fish. You can give someone a fish or you can – what's that phrase? I don't – what a crazy – what a dumb thing to say. What's that? You can give a man a fish or you can teach him to fish? I think that's it. Uh, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Says the New Zealand. I was like, that's almost one of those Australian sayings. Oh, my gosh. Drop it in the comments, that saying. But basically the, the, the axiom, the truth behind it is that – that it's far more beneficial to teach someone to empower themselves. And and that's done in clubs. Uh, that's done in connecting in real clubs that really care. And, uh, and there are some fantastic clubs out there, little ones and big ones. Obviously I'm biased in that I run a club and I'm putting a lot of time and effort into that, but that's, it's exactly because of this. It's because of this realization that if we don't do this seriously, if we don't take this seriously, then Social pressure isn't enough <laughs> in terms of like out there in the world. Social media presence, presence pressure isn't enough. Laws are not enough. Um, you, you, you won't grow and you won't learn and you won't get access if, if you don't find people to be accountable to. And that's only going to happen in clubs. And what do you think about but, that? Yeah, same, and it's just in your, just same, in your community that you're starting to build. I haven't seen a lot of negativity on there yet, so it's been good to see. It seems quite a positive, um, a lot of positive members, which is which is great. So hopefully it continues, and yeah, it's very cool to see what you're building there. I think I mean I think you've like the question behind the question of what you said is is true in that it's it's amazing now if it scales, which I hope it does because it has to scale if it's going to be beneficial to hunters at a national scale which is what I want, which is what I think we need, will it stay positive? And the, obviously the answer is won't stay probably as positive as it is now. Like you said, there's always poachers, there's always idiots in every community. But I think part of the difference, and this has happened, I think that you even see this in um, some of the other smaller clubs that have been driven, had presidents or people who were, who started it, who have a really strong ethos or or value system and they are kind of they champion the club and people gravitate towards them and they say oh jim um or like let's let's, let's use paul uh for example so that i was talking about before in south australia paul started the ada branch in, in south australia paul is the reason why we have deer in south australia like literally running out wild which a lot of people will be like that's terrible like non-hunters but for hunters like Good job, Paul. He people <laughs> joined the um uh sorry, was it the was it the ADA or was it the double SAA? I think it was the ADA. I could be wrong. It could be the double SAA. It was one of those big clubs he started. Um and people joined that club because of Paul. Because they're like, I trust Paul, I know Paul's values, and therefore I will jump in the same boat with Paul and we'll all go together. Um and I think at the moment, um, a, a bit of that's happening with the Australian Hunters Club and that people are saying, people are watching on YouTube and saying, oh, Chris is doing a good thing or, or I hope I hope they're saying this. Um, I like Chris's values. I resonate with Chris's values. 
Um, I'm going to go join in what Chris is doing. Uh, and when you get enough of those people together, it doesn't then has nothing to do with Chris. It's just they were all we're all the same. In fact, it's yeah, it's exactly. kind of like this shared momentum um, of everyone uh, that I think super interesting. But uh, I mean, do you do you want to be more involved in the ADA? To be honest, probably not. I should be. <clears throat> I should be involved in some, I, sh- I should be. I should be involved in something a little bit more. But give back to the community a bit more. Um, it's probably a little bit selfish. You know, I love my hunting, and I sh- probably should try and give back a little bit more. I hope I try to a little bit through my my videos, but I definitely have a bit more, bit more room to, or a bit more, a bit more room to give back a bit more to the to the community. So, yeah, I probably should look into it a little bit more. Is this just the world that we live in, though? Like, feel free to push back and say, Chris, you're full of rubbish. Like, I mean, like, are we just living in a world now where life is too busy? There's too much going on. You need to look after yourself. You know, community is great. But, like, at the end of the day, you need to be the master of your own destiny and you need to make it happen. Is that is that the reality? Or uh, like- No, I think no, I think, I think it's definitely important to give back. Like, it's, you know, there's been people over the years that have given so much to me and so much opportunity, not just in hunting, but, you know, anything you're involved in. So if I'm willing to, or if I'm not willing to give back, then, uh, yeah, then I can't expect to see growth and see improvement in what we have here in Australia with the hunting community. Like, it's not just one person or individuals that are going to make it um, see the improvement. We have to kind of group together. And if I'm personally not willing to, to put in the effort, um, then how can I expect to see improvement? I can't get here and start harping on how, you know, I want to see this, this and this. But if I'm, if I'm not personally putting that time in, then I, I can't really comment on it, to be honest. Then I shouldn't be commenting on it. You know, I have to be putting my part in and um, helping where I can. So... That's all right. I'll I go back it. through this podcast and I'll just delete out all the things that you say about community. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, with that said, in all seriousness, you are doing a great thing with your platform on YouTube. You are taking things seriously. You are being sensitive. You are taking the opportunity to take the time and show people things and teach people things and explain things to people. There are YouTube channels out there. There are platforms there are instagram accounts where it's just like all headshots and it's just like headshot compilation go check out this headshot and it's all about me 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 and look how good all my stuff is or like look at this great gear i've got or this is a gear review of this product and i got this product for free and look how cool i am but i feel like you have a i mean this is not that this is a plug (laughs) i don't want this podcast to be like this is a plug for liquid antler but at the same time um offsetting what you said about before about kind of feel like you need to be contribute more to community you are doing a good thing um with your platform and i i think uh it's a, a valid and good and positive contribution to the hunting space in australia hey no cheers for that and it's definitely um and you definitely have to hold hold yourself accountable because it is very easy to start going down the product thing and trying to push and you know try to build and build and build but yeah, I sometimes just have to stop and go, hey, what, what am I doing here? Um, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that or sh- I should be doing focusing more on another aspect and just keep it keep it original, keep it who I am. Um, I love hunting. I love getting out. That's what I want to be showing. So it's very, yeah, I don't want to start getting tempted to start doing all the all the bits of gear and all that kind of, of things, which, which is very easy too because you do start getting the offers. But, um, yeah, plenty of time in the bush exploring. Loving what I do. That's that's number one, and I said keep that keep that going. 
I think that's great, man. I think you're absolutely spot on that there's a temptation for especially younger guys and girls who have been raised in this uh, boiling pot of of influences and of different pressures that when you start gaining a measure of success, um, you get a taste for it, and then all of a sudden offers come in and people start noticing and, and you feel the pressure of, well, this video performed really well and I want people to love me and I want to get more exposure and I want to keep growing, therefore I'll go make that video again and again and I'll make it again and I'll make it again and it gets more sensational and I get more offers and I'm all of a sudden I'm a channel that reviews eskies <laughs> or hunting <laughs> knives or or generators or whatever, whereas what I originally went into it was this heart to teach people, to show people this experience and stuff. So it's def- I think that's a... I mean, if you can learn that lesson early, uh, then that's a valuable lesson because it is not easy putting in, I'm going to say, 50 hours more, 60, 80 hours into a hunting video and then it gets like 200 views and you're like, oh, man, that felt good. Great. I'm so glad I made that content. Jeez, let's make another few of those. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough old grind, like you say, the hours and time you put into a video. And then, you know, you think this is, you know, this is going to do great. This is the one, you know, 100 views, 150 <laughs> views after the first few days. And you're going, oh, you know what? But at the end of the day, you know, as long as I'm proud of what I put together, uh, you know, if it gets 500 views over the life of the video, then so be it you know that's i enjoy putting it together and that's why i do it i love it i don't you know i love being out there i love videoing i love putting it putting the the story together and you know the success of the video on youtube is not going to stop me you know making these videos i'll still i'll still keep making them i love doing it and um yeah it's it's just it's great i mean i think that's absolutely spot on you you have a great heart i i really appreciate the skill and the expertise that you kind of leverage in your videos. Like I've watched so many hunting channels where the pacing is just terrible. It's like, no, we don't need to see that GoPro of you walking through the bush for like one minute straight. It's like, we can, we can (laughs) capture what you're trying to sell in 10 seconds. And you do a great job of just, you, you make these hunts come alive if you know, as, as someone who watches your stuff and appreciates your stuff and appreciates you, you feel like you're you're on your next year. I'm I'm standing next year with the rifle over my shoulder and my legs are hurting as you walk up that mountain. And it's through little things like interesting camera angles or intriguing dialogue or explanations or just the skill and the forethought that you put into your content um, really helps. And a lot of people wouldn't be able to articulate that. They wouldn't be able to say why they thought your videos were good. They would just say, oh, I like his stuff better than his other stuff or her stuff. Um, so I hope that you hear that from me, from someone <laughs> who goes through the same slogs and who tries to make sure that I put in the extra effort to honor people's time and honor the attention that they're so willingly giving um, to the video uh, with making it great that uh, I, I think that you do that too. And um uh, and I want to thank you for coming and, and spending the time talking to me and being open and authentic and tackling difficult questions uh, and answering authentically and not answering when you don't have the answers. Um, 
there's there's value to that and uh, and I appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you for getting to the end of the podcast. Honestly, I really appreciate it. I know that an hour and a half is a long time and I value your attention that you've devoted to it this entire time, especially with a difficult topic like suicide. It's not something that's easy to discuss, but ultimately is good and healthy for us to discuss it in an open, authentic way. So I want to thank Jason for giving us the opportunity to kick around that topic together, uh, especially given how close to home it is. I want to encourage you as well. Suicidal thoughts can occur to anyone at any point in their life. They are more common than many of us realize and many people feel overwhelmed by pain hopelessness worthlessness they feel isolated like there's no way out but it's okay to have suicidal thoughts it's important that you reach out and let someone know though if you are feeling those things so i encourage you to call lifeline on 13 11 14 if you are experiencing those thoughts Thank you again for getting to this point. I encourage you, if you do want to connect with a community of hunters, like-minded people, gain that accountability that we talked about, as well as access to other benefits like free member-hosted hunts, go check out the Australian Hunters Club, australianhunters.com.au. It's my club. It's where I am. It's a great way to support me, but also support yourself. Thank you again for listening to the conversation, and hopefully we can talk again soon.